Welcome into The Harvest. I'm Andrew Stroud. Today I'm joined by Joey Odell for a fun conversation about Blaise Pascal's Six Principles for Christian Mockery. Proverbs 26 verse 4 tells us, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. But in the very next verse, we are told to answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. As Christians, we're called to represent Jesus and to always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us to give reasons for our faith. We're told to do this with gentleness and respect. In the age of social media, making mistakes in the way we represent Jesus comes at a higher price because more eyes are watching whether we realize it or not. We should stand for truth in the public square, but we need to do it in a way that honors our Lord and is winsome and persuasive. And that's where the fine art of Christian mockery comes in. Is it possible to laugh at our enemies and love them? I hope you'll stick around and find out. Joey O'Dell is a chaplain in the United States Army and author of the book, Faith is Not Blind, Learning to Love God with All of Our Mind. He's also someone who does a great job practicing Pascal's six principles of Christian mockery in his online interactions. We had some technical difficulties while recording, so there's no video if you're watching this episode on YouTube. But the audio is clear, and I hope you enjoy and benefit from this conversation. Joey, welcome back to the show. I did some checking and it has been a little while since we had you on. Um, we did a conversation around the topic of Lent several years back, pre-pandemic, right. I believe, or right as the pandemic was was starting. So welcome. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, we've got a lot of new listeners who probably have not met you before. So tell us just a little bit about yourself and where you're uh, coming to us from today. Absolutely. And it's a little bit ironic that we are in Lent uh, once again, uh, as we're having this conversation today, Andrew. Um, so I am an Army chaplain. Uh, I am endorsed by the jurisdiction of the Armed Forces and Chaplaincy of the Anglican Church in North America. Um, and so we are the expression of Orthodox Anglicanism in the United States and Canada uh, and in Central America. And uh, I serve uh, in the 18th Airborne Corps here at Fort Bragg. And uh, so it's a pretty, uh, it's a job that moves very quickly, uh, to say the least. Um, but I really have great opportunities uh, to interact with soldiers and the families. Uh, and at my stage of my career, uh, to help younger chaplains of all uh, denominations and faiths grow to become more effective providers of uh, the religious support. Yeah, I think of you, we, we talked just a little bit before we started recording, I think of you as something of a renaissance man. You're a hard guy to describe, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to give you a, uh, a chance to do that. Um, but I really appreciate you. And we're going to talk today about six principles for Christian mockery, which isn't a topic that many of our listeners may have heard discussed before. But one reason why I thought about you as someone who I wanted to have this conversation with is because I think you do a good job of engaging with the culture, especially on social media. Uh, you and I are connected, I think, on several platforms, but maybe fa Facebook in particular. I've seen you engage with current issues or events and do so in a way that I, I think is effective um, at representing Christ, but also 
pointing out where the world and its ideology and its belief systems are flawed. And so hopefully uh, we can provide our, our listeners with a productive conversation about how to do that. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you. So we're, um, we're going to use a man by the name of Blaise Pascal. Some of our listeners will have heard that name before, but many of them may not because he's, he's a bit of a historical figure. This guy lived in the 17th century. Uh, he was brilliant. Um, he was something of a genius, even from early age. He was great at math. He was a philosopher as the years passed and he was a Catholic. He was very devout. And so, um, some of some of what people might know about him isn't so much his name, but some of the things that he's famous for. So he he actually was um, one of the first uh, creators of early versions of the digital calculator. Um, you mentioned his wager, so maybe you can share that with us, and uh, folks will probably have heard of it. Sure, Pascal's wager is is an apologetic for the faith, for the Christian faith, and maybe even just for basic, um, you know. And, belief in God, that to believe that God exists, to believe that Christianity is true, and to follow the principles laid out uh, in the New Testament and by the church leads to all kinds of benefits in this life, both for the individual and for society. And also, you know, you are able to, able to obtain the new heavens and new earth, a union with God, all these supernatural benefits as well. Um, so if we're right, here's all the package that goes with that. And if we're wrong, well, we've still had full-feeling lives with our family and our community and in our worship community, building hospitals and schools and all the, the, the great things that have come with Christianity. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the downside of believing that Christianity is true um, and being wrong. Um, but for those who say, who aren't sure and say, no, we're, we're not going to believe, they lose the temporal benefits as well as the eternal benefits. So they lose the eternal benefits if they're wrong, but they also lose temporal benefits even if they're right. So basically saying, look, with one, you say, Jesus, yes, good things happen no matter what. You know, Jesus, no, you're not gaining anything uh, that you wouldn't have had with Jesus. So that's Pascal's wager. Um, he says, if you're going to gamble, gamble Jesus' way. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've appreciated just in what little reading I have done of his, of, of his content. He wrote um, a lot. In fact, the, um, the text that were the principles that we're going to be drawing on today was from one of his writings that people can still access. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, uh, but he was a prolific writer. He was a, he was a great thinker, but he was also very concerned with, like you said, apologetics, Again, many folks may not be familiar with that word. So why don't you share with us briefly, what is apologetics and how should we think of it? The simplest definition of apologetics is defending the faith. Um, so you're going to those who doubt or have an argument against the truth of Christianity, the truth of God's word, the truth of created order, and you present an argument uh, against it. Um, and that's an apologetic. And there's lots of directions you can take with your apologetic. You can have a scientific apologetic. In fact, the, uh, my book um, has a couple of different sections which address different types of apologetics that you can use to attempt to help the person you're talking to understand, and maybe even more importantly, those who may be listening um, understand uh, why the way of God, the way of Jesus is the right way. And I think in, in social media, keeping in mind the observing, uh, the listening crowd, those who are reading whom you aren't contending with uh, is very important for apologetics in the public sphere. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really glad you said that. And, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll launch from there into our conversation on representing Jesus well and defending the faith well on social media. I, I think when it comes to apologetics, a great verse that many folks may be familiar with is 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So we want to talk about how to apply that scripture and those principles in our modern world, in the information age, and in particular on social media. Because I would say that um, I've made many mistakes in this area. I've certainly seen other um, outspoken believers making mistakes in terms of how, not just how they represent Jesus overtly, but basically letting it be known that they have faith, that they are believers, that, that Jesus is an important part of their life, but then not realizing that once you put that flag up in the air, everything that you say, everything that you post, everything that you like and comment on, the way that you conduct yourself is now representing Jesus. So we talked a little bit before we hit record here about some of the ways that we ourselves have missed the mark and maybe some of the more um, egregious ways that we see Christians missing the mark. So I, I had a few here that I wanted to list out. And if you have any that you you want to add, then feel free to do that. But one way that I think we can miss the mark as Christians is just by engaging in in worthless or foolish talk. And the scriptures warn us against doing that in our person-to-person real-life conversations. Uh, it may be just easier to do that uh, with social media because for many of us, social media and time on the screen can be um, a getaway and escape, a more lighthearted endeavor that we're engaging in. And yet um, we can engage in in worthless or foolish talk um, as we're in, engaged in scripture memory or in a, in a social media. Um, another one that I've seen, and this seems to be especially true on Twitter for whatever reason, you know, each platform has its own strength and uh, inherent weakness. And, you know, Twitter is one that, that can be especially uh, provocative and uh, mean-spirited. And uh, one that I've seen from Christians on Twitter in particular is, you know, compromising historic Christian truths. I would say in an effort to win the favor or the approval of a watching world. So it's, I would say it's done in a very um, purposeful way to, uh, to posture as, hey, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those Christians. I'm not the judgmental. I'm, I'm not the ones who are exclusionary. So I think you've probably seen that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. David, David French comes to mind. Um, These folks, they always have their weapons pointed inward. Um, Mm -hmm. Their, 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 uh, you know, criticisms are always aimed at faithful Christians, some of whom sometimes deserve criticism, right? Right. Well, let's not say it's not the case, but when you're looking at where uh, they are aiming, it always seems to be inward at the church and not necessarily at like abuses in the church or, um, you know, things that are problems that need to be rectified, but it's just things they don't like or things that aren't culturally hip or uh, doesn't agree with a, with a non-Christian worldview. No, I, I agree with that. And there, there tend to be certain topics that come up over and over as well, whether it's uh, your political positions and, um, you know, basically grouping all Christians or evangelicals in particular into one political camp and then, um, you know, right. speaking against them. I think that's a great point that oftentimes that's what marks this particular error is that, like you said, it's it's almost always directed against fellow believers 
And I would say it's also, it seems overtly intended to, to win the approval of those who are not believers, um, who, who might be watching from, from the sidelines. Right. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm reading a book, uh, you may have heard of called, uh, uh, Jesus and John Wayne, uh, and it's uh, by Christian Cove Demez and the subtitles like how, uh, evangelical Christians, uh, ruin the church and uh, create division. Like I don't have the book in front of me. I should have it. Um, right. but uh, it, what's obvious is that they're never, she says that they ruin the church, but she never gives an example of how wonderful, you know, Christian orthodoxy was before these events occurred that she said does all these things. You know, there's, there's not a love for the church and for his people that we see with these folks. There's just a, uh, I'm going to, you know, uh, attack them. And my attacks happen to coincide precisely <laughs> with what is very popular in elite, like progressive you know, culture these days. Uh, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate because it, that it's is a great everyone. Yeah, that's a great point of clarification, because yes, it is almost always revolving around an issue that is trending. And right. these particular voices will be siding with the culture over and against other well-known believers, or even against historical teachings and and uh, truths of the church. Right. Um, so that, that's that's a great point. A, a third way that I, I see us missing the mark is um, just being overly judgmental. So it's kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. So on the one side, we see Christians who are compromising the truth in order to curry the world's favor, and on the other side, you can you can see people who are just very outspoken about the faith, but very condemning of culture and the church, actually. So they, these are equal opportunity um, uh, condemners, I would say. And so I often wonder, like, who are these people posting for? Who, who, who's going to be persuaded by, by this particular attitude and, and uh, these types of, of posts on social media? Absolutely. And of the four, uh, this is the one that I was most guilty of, particularly in the past, and maybe even sometimes I still do it now. It's the, what I call the immediate face punch. And no one in, in person or especially on social media is going to be positively influenced by a immediate face punch, by you calling their view on something you know, heresy. And everyone else who's looking at it, they're not going to be swayed either. Now, if they're on your side already, maybe that's some, some you know, red meat rah-rah. But uh, for the most part, uh, th those are often I've found, found it myself. And so maybe I'm projecting a little too much onto others this way, but I find that that is an immediate, like visceral response on social media. Like you see something, it mm. catches your attention, you immediately type it out and hit that send button. And that's where those almost always come from. I don't know if I've ever sat back and thought about <laughs> how I would like to respond and then come out with, come out with something you know, like that. That's a great point. Like if you hit send and you feel a, a sense of joy and, uh, <laughs> you know, if you had these emotional response, you know, if you're getting like that dopamine hit because you, you commented <laughs> on it, it might not have been sent out in the, uh, in the right spirit. So, right. um, we, we can engage and be guilty of that as well. And then the last one that came to my mind is, is just uh, public squabbling amongst Christians, huge theological debates. And there can be a place for that, but I think, um, knowing the limitations of social media or being mindful of what, what these types of platforms can and cannot do in the way of mm -hmm. having um, meaningful, deep theological con uh, conversations. Mm -hmm. um, 
or even working out disagreements, that there's still uh, an important place for picking up the phone and calling someone that you might have a disagreement with versus, you know, working it out or trying to work it out on social media. Absolutely. I think sometimes we all think that we're working in the vein of, say, Whitfield and Wesley or Luther and Zwingli or some of these old, uh, you know, giants of the faith who sent pamph- who distributed pamphlets back and forth, you know, arguing about things. And we think that's what we're doing. But really, we're, we're not. Um, we're putting far more information out there than folks tend to be able to digest and process. And I, I think they kind of just just turn us off when we start doing that. So it ends up not yeah. being profitable almost at all. There's a great book uh, called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I don't know if you're familiar with that particular title. It's it's worth the read. It was actually written in the 80s. And right. it, it was really talking about how television had degraded a public discourse and how mm-hmm. as, as Americans, especially, we used to be a very literate um, society. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the mediums of communication, the mediums that we use to communicate actually shape the way we think and the way we communicate and interact with one another. So it's not just, right. I, I can communicate verbally, I can communicate through writing a pamphlet or a book, or I could write a Twitter thread. Your mind is actually going to work differently based on the medium that you're using Mm. and the place for reasoned, um, well-supported, non-emotional, rational thought is actually written long form writing. It's, it's not Mm. short posts or, or even verbal communication or video communication. So even though we're doing a podcast like this, um, you know, if we were wanting to have, um, the most productive conversation around important topics, you know, thinking through and writing out our thoughts would, we'd probably get a lot more out of it if we, if we took that route. That makes a lot of sense. I was talking to a uh, rabbi up in New York recently, and he said that when someone is on their smartphone and they're scrolling, you have two and a half seconds <laughs> to get their attention or they will scroll to the next thing. Um, and yeah. so that, that just hammers home how the social media isn't the place for the long form discourse. Um, I, I, I would give a one thought. I think that groups like specific groups uh, on like a Facebook um, do provide that opportunity because it's a different kind of engagement. Like you're saying, um, I'm, I'm really dork, you know, make myself be a dork with this, but I'm in a reformed chess club um, where uh, everyone there likes chess and they like uh, reformed Protestant theology. Um, and some great long form discussions happen in there because it's this niche group. And we know those are the things we're going to discuss. And probably not uh, uncoincidentally, neither of them have like quick answers to them. You know? Yeah, I think that's that's a good qualifier that there are places where you you have like minded uh, people engaged in more of a closed room setting, a closed group setting. And um yeah, I could see that as well. And, you know, most people are either not going to join that group or they're not going to see those posts. So it is a, a different audience that that you have in mind there. So having said like, hey, it's very easy for us to do it, to do it wrong or to, to not get it right when in terms of representing Jesus and engaging with the culture. Um, we we there are ways to get it right and that's really what we want to spend the balance of our time uh, talking about today and i would like to is particularly make the case for christian mockery which sounds like maybe it shouldn't even be a thing but so this is like not only representing jesus well but how to engage in 
in an oppositional way to ideologies or truth claims or even events uh, because our culture is becoming less and less rooted in our Christian uh, historical belief systems and, and value systems. And so as Christians, we, we need to learn how to navigate the cultural conversation and do it in a way that's productive. Um, whereas I think what can often happen is we can either skew towards um, the mistakes that we already talked about, or as Christians, we can just basically sideline ourselves. Well, I, I'm not going to engage uh, in that topic. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to try to present the Christian view on this, on this conversation because I don't want to do it the wrong way. So we're going to try to talk about some principles for presenting the other side and even pointing out the errors of, of common ideology and, and cultural values today. Absolutely. All right, let's go. Well, let's let's use Proverbs 26 verses four and five as a launching text for this next part of our conversation in uh, Proverbs 26. I've always loved this this little two verse combo in verse four. He says, don't answer a fool according to his foolishness or you'll be like him yourself. Then verse five, answer a fool according to his foolishness or he'll become wise in his own eyes. And I think that's such a great verse for our modern age and how we engage with the culture. There, there's times where we don't even need to get sucked into these conversations because it's only going to result in the the fool or the the other view thinking that they're wise in their own eyes. But we do want to learn how to engage effectively to answer a fool according to his foolishness so that he, he doesn't view, he, he can see the error of his own thinking. And that's where these six principles for Christian mockery are going to come in. Yeah, absolutely. And it's when immediately I'm gonna start mocking something because uh, this is the sort of thing when, uh, when people talk about all the contradictions in the Bible, you know, it's because then they go to uh, christiansarestupid.com so they can pull them up and they'll pull up this one. Um, you know, there, uh, it sounds contradictory on its face, but, you know, like much of wisdom literature takes a little bit of, uh, you know, understanding of uh, the culture, the language medium, et cetera, to, to figure out what it's trying to say to us. And it's not saying, you know, don't get in a fight with a pig because you'll just get dirty. Um, it's saying exactly what you said, that be cautious, but you can't just let it go unopposed. Yeah. Christians need to be involved in the, in the conversation, the larger conversation that's happening in our society today. Um, we need to represent Jesus. We just need to be mindful of how we're doing it and not actually work at cross purposes with representing God. When it comes to Christian mockery, some might say, well, is that, is that even a thing? But think about people like uh, the prophet Elijah who confronted the prophets of Baal. And he didn't just confront them. There oh, was definitely yeah. some, some fun mocking that he had as part of his, his confrontation. Um, and again, it was a very public, that's one of my favorite examples because it's very public. There are, there, the crowds of people are watching him versus these 400 plus prophets of Baal. Um, and the, the exposing of the emptiness of what these prophets of Baal represented and, and what they what, what they were teaching was a big part of winning over the crowd and helping the crowd realize that they'd, they'd all bought into a lie and something that at the end of the day was not effective um, and wasn't true. 
Right. Yeah. Effective mockery keeps the crowd in mind. Um, and clearly he did that. And um, while we don't want to talk too much about uh, what ended up happening at the very end of uh, all that, um, it gets into another discussion about um, you know, violence, uh, but it, it, it was effective. And uh, we, he knew he had folks in mind. He knew what was listening. He saw what was going on and it needed to be put in his proper context. And mockery was an effective way to do that. Yeah, I think even with Jesus and uh, some of the ways that he engaged with the Pharisees, again, in very public forums, he would point out the the foolishness of straining gnats and swallowing camels or tithing dent, uh, uh, sorry, tithing mint, dill and cumin. Um, mm-hmm. But then, um, you know, not supporting their aging parents and taking advantages of right. uh, advantage of widows. Paul with the Judaizers uh, in the books right. in the book of Galatians and in other places, yes. um, very strong speech. It's those passages that you read and you're like, man, it's surprising that we see these Christian leaders being so sharp in in calling out others. Right. Yeah. And in an age of where we're supposed to be, we hear so often that we have to be winsome. Um, we find that there's a distinct lack of winsomeness at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some of the greatest saints, not only in the Bible, uh, but in history. Uh, we find, you know, the, the Luther and, and Calvin um, and Pascal here. Uh, they use uh, this kind of cutting humor at times. And, uh, they're selective about it. And their selectivity, I think, has a lot uh, to teach us. Yeah. So let's let's shift over to Pascal. Um, again, he lived between 1623 and 1662. And the six principles that we're going to highlight here as we wrap up are taken from his 11th provincial letter. Again, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes here. Um, and he was writing in response to the Jesuit order. Um, and he was at odds with much of how they were conducting themselves and how they were uh, publicly presenting Christ and, and issues of the day. And so these, these six principles of mockery, you know, he was actually doing these in real time in this particular, uh, particular letter. Um, but he was very thoughtful in his defense of Christian mockery. And so we're going to look at the six principles that, that you can glean from, from that particular letter. So let's just read them one at a time and I'll read through them, Joey. And then if you have thoughts or input that you, that you want to elaborate on, um, we can do that here. Okay. the balance of our time. Okay. So the first principle of Christian mockery is that Christians must speak only the truth. Mm-hmm. So we don't speak untruths or, and we also don't exaggerate the mistakes and the errors of our opponents to, to make them look worse than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there, and it's funny because there is a place for overstatement and understatement but not in that way. Like, so it's one thing when uh, your opponent says something like, you know, it is pointing to a particular event in history. Um, I think of a conversation I saw recently where uh, there's uh, a particular counseling method was being criticized. The person said, all the abuse can be laid at these people's feet. And, and the counseling method is, is not a method of abuse, right? And so I, I said, yeah, all the abuse can be laid at these guys' feet because none of the types of abuse that happen uh, had ever happened before this person or before this type of counseling existed or outside of that counseling. So they are responsible for all of it, right? So that's a, I'm showing about how ludicrous the statement was, mm. but I'm not calling, you know, I'm not saying that the person said anything they didn't say. In fact, I can only use what they did say. Um, so there's a, so overstatement 
it can be used, but you don't, you, you can't lie with it. You can't say that, you know, impugn their character or their motives in doing so. Yeah. Like not only is this unethical, but at the, in the final analysis, it's not very effective because people begin to see through it. And, you know, the, maybe the, uh, the most famous recent example of this is the interview that happened between Jordan Peterson and this, uh, female news anchor. I think her name was Kathy, maybe Kathy Newman or, or Newsom. But, um, but she kept so many times she said, so, so he would say something and she would say, uh, so you're saying, and then anyone watching could see like, Hey, that's, no, that's not what he said at all. Right. And anyone paying attention would see that, that she was actually misrepresenting in the worst way possible. And I think we see this all the time yeah. in our, in our society, whether it's yeah. politicians. So as, as Christians, we don't want to engage. We don't want to engage in that same tactic of basically misrepresenting those that, that we're confronting or that we're speaking against uh, in terms of their ideas. And you actually mentioned the the second principle as well, what you shared there in in the example that you gave Mm -hmm. the second principle that uh, Pascal gives for Christian mockery is that we should avoid getting personal, that the point is to ridicule, not the person who's making the statement, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but to highlight the ridiculousness of what's being claimed or the emptiness to expose the, uh, the fallacy of what's being claimed as an idea or a statement of truth. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and there's a couple of reasons for that, but they're probably obvious to most folks. Um, first of all, if you're insulting someone, um, ridiculing someone, like they're, they're not endeared toward you, right? They're, they're less likely to hear what you have to say. Uh, second, others see that and it's, it's distasteful. Um, to others to see you mocking a person, mocking something about them, their family or their their character unnecessarily. Um, But also in the history of the church, one of the earliest tactics used was called the reductio ad absurdum, which is like reducing the idea to absurdity. And so you would take a, what sounds like a principle someone is proposing and you take it like to its extreme to show this, this thing you're saying is central and important to the faith. Here's where that will end up. You take it all the way to the extreme end of that reasoning. Um, and so that that example in the early church is an example for us of how we only mock the idea by showing its absurdity, not the person. Yeah. And there's a, there's an art and skill to this that um, I think we need to be consciously developing and trying to cultivate. Um, and one of the best resources that I know about this is a set of videos that's put out by the Colson Center called What Would You Say? Have, have you heard of these videos, Joey? I haven't. No. So they're, they're on, the idea is that you're in a conversation with a friend or a coworker and they say this. So the one that I watched most recently was your coworker says, you know, Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead. Early believers borrowed from pagan myths, similar stories. And, and they basically just incorporated that and built the Christian faith on it. And they then read that on the internet. <laughs> right. And then the, the question is, well, what would you say? And then they give you um, simple ways to counter that particular truth claim that you're being confronted with, mm-hmm. but they do it in a way that um, you're engaging with the idea. You're not attacking the person, especially mm-hmm. like if it's a coworker um, or someone in your family or just someone you're in a, in a conversation mm-hmm. with in person, you want to keep it at the level of ideas and, and help them see why that's not a, a, a true way of viewing it. And, and then it's just taking that principle and applying it um, in the social media sphere, 
because what you said earlier, I think is so true. We almost always underestimate the number of people who are watching or listening, listening into our conversations, who aren't going to comment, who aren't going to, to like or share, but who are going to, to read. And if you just think about your, your own activity, you know that that's true, that, that you're being exposed and you're representing Christ on a broader level than, than you might realize. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that we talked about a couple of times, keeping the audience in mind. That's so key. It, it, I'm going to have to look into that Colson center or resource. It sounds like useful and easily presented. It's funny because I've dealt with that exact like argument. And I just find that the, the first thing to do is like ask a question or two, and then you can start laughing about it because you just say, Oh, really? Well, who, <laughs> Who was it exactly that uh, that Jesus's story is built off? Like, oh, you know, oh, well, I, you know, just throw one out there. They thought they were Mithras. Like, Mithras. Oh, Mithras is born of a virgin. Oh, he was. Well, here, here we have. <laughs> let's go ahead and open that up. Oh, born out of a rock. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess he had no father. Okay, you know, so you can you can immediately move to start laughing about it. Um, but yeah, asking questions so that you are engaging right. uh, with the issue and their understanding um, helps bring other people along with you too. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's take a look at this third principle that uh, Pascal gives. He says, only mock what is evil, never what is virtuous. And that may seem obvious, but I think it's good to, to break it out as as its own separate principle. In my view, what this means is that if you're just if you're just someone who's constantly um, dunking on anything that might present itself, any opportunity to make a joke or to make people laugh, uh, or, or to or, or or to highlight what you perceive to be um, a poorly thought out word. What it what it does is it it actually decreases from the effectiveness when you do want to actually engage with something important, a truth claim that you know runs counter to what we see in Scripture and what we see revealed in Christ. But if it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf, if you're always mm-hmm. um, mocking, then um, it's not going to have the effect that you want it to have in pointing out um, the fallacies that, that need to be uh, highlighted and spotlighted. That's right. The, the phrase I use to summarize this truth is sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. Um, <laughs> there are folks who seem to think that it is um, because one, once the point becomes the mockery, then you've lost any opportunity uh, to influence the folks around you with it. Uh, but, but it's also true that some ideas should not be taken seriously. Some ideas are worthy of derision and of mockery. Um, we, we just need to be discerning ourselves and making sure that we are, are identifying those and not turning everything into a who can make more fun of the other person's ideas a contest. Right. You're not going for the laughs. You actually right. are wanting right. to mm-hmm. persuade. Right. And, you know, going back to your idea of winsomeness, I think, I think we need to broaden our definition of what winsomeness means. You want mm-hmm. to win people over to your view right. of things. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, that they like you personally any better than they did before mm-hmm. um, you communicated the way you did but that you've given them reason to pause and to reflect and to hopefully you've hopefully persuaded them uh, over to the truth uh, of what God has revealed. You've won them over. And that really goes to this fourth principle that he talks about, which is that we should always desire the good and ultimately the salvation of those who, whose ideas and behavior we mock. Right. And this is a this is a hard one sometimes, Andrew, because yes, oftentimes the people that we are 
engaged in, in argument discussion with, and when, particularly if we're using mockery, like we, we have, a lot of times we already perceive them as the enemy. Right. They're an opponent only. They're, they're always an opponent. And it's not just what they're, the idea they're promoting. It's them as a person. Um, and I, I think sometimes, like, and this is one that, you know, may, may cut me a bit, that I, I don't always do that. I don't always do it with that person's, uh, you know, salvation good in mind. And it's sometimes because I, I've written them off and that, that's unfair to them. It's it's not having a Christ-like view um, because like, I, I don't know what he knows. I don't know what God knows about this person's future. Anything can change with them. And it's a, it's a mark against me that I have, would have that perception of them. And then that, that probably is going to come out in yes. my attempt at mockery, right? It's probably going to come out that I don't respect them or I don't want what's good for them. And then that, then that blows it all to pieces. I've not only wasted my time, I've made it worse. I've, I've lost you know, reach or whatever you might want to call it with uh, you know, the ability to influence others because they yeah. see that I'm not, I, I'm not being godly myself. And so how can I mock it in someone else? Right. Well, I think you see Paul doing this, and this is uh, probably um, um, a more moderate version of this, but when he's interacting with the Galatians, if you read mm -hmm. chapter three of Galatians and into the beginning and throughout chapter four, um, he really does engage in some mild ridicule um, of the Galatian believers because of their misunderstanding of the gospel um, and the way that they started out as outsiders. God made them his children. And then they wanted to go back to being slaves. And, and so in the midst of Paul having that conversation with them and pointing out how foolish this thought process was and what they were buying into, he changes his tone halfway through chapter four. And he says, my little children with whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And you see that his heart is that they have the right view of the gospel and that Christ is actually formed in them. So, yeah, this is a great fourth principle of always desiring the good and ultimately the salvation of those whose ideas and behavior we mock. And it kind of connects with the second principle of avoid getting personal, um, that we, we do want to mock the, the false ideas and the harmful behavior that people are engaging in and not the people themselves. What we hope for them and for those who might be observing and watching the conversation is that they would come to know the truth and that they would experience salvation. All right, well, let's move on to the fifth principle that Pascal gives us for Christian mockery. And it is, we should always punch up, never down. And his point here is that mockery is a tool to expose evil and folly in powerful places. And I think some of the examples we've, we've already used highlight that, but do you have any uh, thoughts on this principle of punching up? Yeah, the, the target is really important. Uh, and all the biblical examples uh, demonstrate that they're not, they're not saying it, they're not giving a command to do it that way, but they demonstrate that. And the historical, historical ones we both mentioned do as well. Like, Pascal, you know, punching the Jesuits, like they've got a lot of authority. He, he has none. Um, for myself, for me, I have to remember, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm clergy, you know, I'm a, an Anglican priest. I'm a, a pastor, a spiritual leader to uh, soldiers and family members that I've been their chaplain before. And if I train my, uh, you know, mockery skills on someone who's just, you know, uh, a regular person in a church, who has an idea that I've identified as is, is wrong, um, that I'm just going to look like a bully. 
Um, e right. Even if everything I even if I follow the first four principles of this, I'm just going to look like a bully. And so we do need to punch up at those people who uh, maybe they're, you know, celebrity celebrities, religious leaders, uh, you know, politicians, you know, people who have power, have influence that uh, at least is equal with ours, but usually should be more than ours. Those are the those are the ones we want to bring people's attention to that there's a problem picking on mm -hmm. some poor soul who was in my Sunday school class, uh, that, that just makes me a bully. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, a great point. Not only where you're coming from, but then the, the context of the, the conversation that you're having. So I think even if you're in, if you're in a, an in-person setting, if there's a ringleader who is, who is being outspoken and, mm -hmm. and being purposely um, derogatory towards Christ or Christian principles, and you you have an opportunity to to speak towards that person as a ringleader, as a person seeking to influence others. I think that's the idea is that you're not just in a conversation with someone who's perhaps just misguided and parroting um, something that they've heard and bought into, but you're, you're confronting people who are either purposely or or un unintentionally, but they're, they're in positions of influence and they're, they're actively trying to influence others in these, uh, towards these wrong, these wrong ways, these, these wrong directions. So the sixth and final principle here is that mockery is a last resort and we use it on the unreasonable after appeals to reason have failed. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of takes us full circle back to Proverbs 26. <laughs> so, you know, if you, if you've tried to reason and have uh, a normal conversation with someone and it's clear that, hey, they're not hearing that their their heels are dug in and they're actively committed to this this wrong thinking. And it's this untruth. Then mockery is something that you you can still draw on. Yeah, it is. Uh, and that, that's when it becomes time to answer them according to their folly. Right. Um, you know, that's and that's what the part of part of what the verse is telling us. Um, and, and the social media does provide some easy ways to do this and some easy ways to break it. You know, mm. memes are fun. Um, yes. I especially love cat memes myself. Um, but, but in, in general, me memes are fun to use. Um, but yes. we have to recognize one that they're, uh, they're, they're not a, they're not a full throated argument. You right. know, they're usually just making right. one, one, one point and they're usually trying to do it in a funny way. I think the response of many of us and sometimes even myself has been to go straight to the meme. Like you, you see someone you know, saying something wrong and we, we look at the past five rules or follow all of them. But before I engage that person with reason, I've seen them do things before and I just go straight to the meme. Um, and and it, this, is, this isn't scripture. You know, Pascal is not, you know, the apostles. Uh, we don't, uh, you know, we can't say that his uh, words and his guidelines in the, in the letter are supposed to be the you know, Holy Spirit inspired, but, but they're good rules. Um, and mm -hmm. so it, I think it's one thing to say, well, we've seen this individual engage in public discourse and, be, and not by me, but they've been confronted by others on the same topic. So it, it might, it's probably safe to go there. Um, but, but with people we know personally who aren't public figures, uh, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And that comes back to something that I thought of earlier and didn't say is that we want to be known as people who are gracious in our interpretations and understandings of others. Like when someone says something, uh, you, you mentioned before, like we don't assume the worst about that. Um, yeah. And so I can't assume the worst about my friend that they're already not gonna change their mind. Um, that, that this person who I'm engaging with, who does have more power than me, but I, I don't know everything they said about this publicly, you know, that they may not be influenced uh, either. And so we want to 
use the reason, scriptures, examples in church history, agreement at all times and places, those kinds of evidences first as our apologetic before we go to the meme. Um, but if you do make a meme, it has to be funny. <laughs> No, I, I think that's a great uh, clarifying point on this sixth principle. Uh, you know, mockery is a last resort. You know, well, what comes before that? And I think what is foundational is what you just mentioned there is that we start from a place of, of always trying to assume the best, not, not necessarily jumping to the conclusion that this person is purposely trying to mislead or, or misrepresent truth, but uh, engaging them first and then verifying that, okay, they aren't they are scoffing you know they, they are basically actively working against at cross purposes to the truth right and and that's why probably a rule i might add is that uh the we're we're, we're aiming our mockery or apologetic at those who are either seeking to undermine eternal truths right or as the jesuits are doing in pascal's letter they're equating their idea or, or something they're doing with eternal truth, which has nothing to do with it. Um, I, I think of friends of mine who tend to use it on those with whom they have a disagreement. I think of one friend in particular who, if you say anything that is contradicts in any way, even a minor way, the Westminster Confession of Faith, you're going to get like the full double blast, like mockery from him every single time. I admire his consistency, um, but that, that's not how we're supposed to use this. Uh, it's those who are, who are th you know, threatening to undermine eternal truths or, or twisting them in some fashion, not just disagreements over things that are secondary or tertiary issues in the church. Yeah, I see that as maybe a corollary of this third principle where he says, um, only mock what is evil, never what is virtuous. So I think that's even more nuanced. What you're saying there is that, hey, certain things, we almost have an obligation to mock it because, right. like you said, they're belittling um, God's truth, or they're substituting their own, their own, um, decrees as God's truth. Or a third one I would add is that we see that this, the thinking or the behavior that's being promoted is dangerous and harmful to, to people. Right. And, and people need to be made aware that, Hey, if you follow this path, if you follow this way of thinking, it's going to destroy your life. It, it's not going to lead you towards, um, health and well-being. It's not going to lead you towards happiness and towards God. And a lot of that is going around right now in um, oh, our society. So there are plenty of places to engage in Christian mockery and where we need to do it, but it doesn't need to be in every single instance of where we disagree with someone. Yeah. As, as you mentioned that, I think of a fellow who, I don't know that he always follows the rules. In fact, I'm sure he doesn't, but, uh, but Matt Walsh's book, Johnny the Walrus, uh, which we have like is a, is a great you know, way of, of making a mockery of something that deserves to be mocked. Uh, the idea that my declaration or my belief that I am something which clearly I am not and never could be, uh, should be taken seriously. That, like, that, that, that has to be mocked like right away. It doesn't deserve our respect. Um, and the people who are promoting it are, are hurting people and, and lives and families and relationships and uh, the spiritual conditions are being wounded all around that issue. And we need to deploy uh, all of the weapons that the Lord has given us uh, to defend truth and to um, help our, our people in the goal they should have, which is as flourishing as a human being in the service of God. 
Yeah, well, Joey, thank you so much again for coming on and having this conversation. I hope people find it helpful and that it may even spark them to to think more deeply about these particular issues. Um, I would encourage them to connect with you. Would you think Facebook would be the best place or is that something that you would welcome? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So almost every Facebook post I make is public. Uh, I'm pretty mm -hmm. easy uh, to find uh, just Joey Odell. Um, I do have an Instagram, which I mostly use to post pictures that then post to Facebook. Um, and I am on Twitter. I just rarely check it. So Facebook's the best way to interact with me. And I invite uh, mockery. I'm big enough to take it. Um, if I can just shout <laughs> out, I better be able to take it. Right. And, and maybe maybe I'll say something mock worthy. So uh, folks can, can come on and let me know that that's the case. Well, I'll put a link to your uh, Facebook uh, account and or your profile and folks, if they want, I, I think you're a great example of trying to engage in thoughtful ways with our culture and with uh, bad ideologies and, and you do a great job with the memes. So um, like I said, you came to mind. You did mention earlier the book that you wrote. Do you want to, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, but you want to tell people a little bit about that and, and see that might be something that people would be interested in checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Just it's a it has a you know connection to the, the topic. It's called Faith is Not Blind: uh, Learning to Love the Lord with All Your Mind, and uh, it just lays out the the different ways that our intellect exists and should be used, and we should nurture it in others uh, so that our faith is stronger. That a strong faith has a, a strong intellectual component to it. There's more to it than that, a lot more, um, but uh, that part is is important. And uh, I think the book through a combination of narrative and examples uh, shows how we can grow ourselves and then help others grow in their intellectual understanding of the faith uh, to become more full in it. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I've read that and I would definitely encourage people to check it out. It's, 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 um, it's a short book, but it's, it's packed with a lot of great wisdom and, and some uh, helpful principles there. So uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. So, okay, brother. Well, I know you are a busy man. Thanks again for uh, coming on and we'll do it again. We won't let three years pass between now and, and the next time. Great. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, brother. God bless you.